Great, thank you, Glads. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us by it. And Lord, we pray with this passage this evening and this question of what legitimate saving faith looks like, that you'd really encourage us. Lord, if we have this faith, that you'd encourage us. Um, and Lord, we'd understand what it looks like. Amen. Have you ever had to make a claim on your insurance? It's a bit of a painful process. You'll know very well if you have. The number of painful probing questions that they ask along the way, it's almost as if their position is, we think you're lying until you can prove otherwise. And so you go through this long process and the slightest inconsistency or detail that you're missing or doesn't sit right they pile on the pressure and they question you. It's like they're trying to catch you out. You're on the phone feeling guilty that you even had to make a claim on the insurance. Why is the process like that? Well, because they need to know if the claim is legitimate. You can only assume it's because they get a lot of fraudulent claims. In fact, I had a quick look. In 2018, there were 469,000 fraudulent claims in the UK. Every day, 13,000 scams were uncovered with an average value of £12,000. Among those that were prosecuting were uh, policemen, government officials and preachers. So you can see why they need to ask the question, is this claim legitimate? And that question is how our passage begins this evening. Is this claim legitimate? James is addressing professing believers. They claim to have faith. But look at verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? See, James is writing to people who would at least say themselves that they're Christians. And he's saying, what good is it if someone claims to have faith? See, one thing that's really important to note at this point is that James isn't necessarily affirming that they do have faith. And so this particular person that he paints a picture of, when it says claims to have faith, he's not necessarily saying that that claim is legitimate. What he's doing is helping his readers to see what legitimate faith looks like, what real faith looks like. Therefore, that means through the passage, there's actually some question of whether that faith is real or not. The hypothetical person that James paints a picture of that claims to have faith but has no deeds in fact, it's probably not a hypothetical person. James has likely got many people in mind. And that's the question asked of those people. That's the question asked of us. If someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Is that a legitimate saving faith? And James goes about tackling the question in a number of ways. Firstly, by saying, 
Faith is not just words. Look at verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So there's a a person who claims to have faith and they see a brother or sister in need. They do nothing about it. Yeah, sure, they're saying that they have faith. Do you see, they're even saying that they want the person in need to be in peace. They want the person to have food. They're saying they want them to be warm. But in reality, their actions don't match their words. Coming up on the screen are three people who might be familiar. What I'd love you to do is just think by yourself, what do these three people have in common? I'll give you 10 seconds. I'll tell you who they are in case you're not sure. On the left is Kyle Walker. In the middle is Catherine Calderwood. And on the right, Jack Grealish. What do they have in common? Well, Jack Grealish crashed his Range Rover on the way back from a party during lockdown. Kyle Walker had a party in his house during lockdown. Catherine Calderwood was found to be going to a holiday home during lockdown. The two footballers, Kyle Walker and Jack Grealish, both had publicly shared a statement that endorsed the line, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Catherine Calderwood in the middle, Scottish chief medical officer, well, this is what the BBC's had to say about her. She was the public face of a campaign to persuade the public to stay at home. She delivered this message repeatedly in sonorous and sententious tones. And then she neglected those guidelines in her personal life. See, these three public figures endorsed social distancing and then were found to be flouting the regulations. The issue with what happened is when they came out in full support of the government scheme, they'd already been found to be breaking those rules. See, what happened completely undermined what they said. What they did completely undermined what they said. It's impossible for us to trust that they wholeheartedly believe the message that they've delivered because they've been seen breaking it. That's why Catherine Calderwood didn't continue her job. That's why Kyle Walker has been told he'll never play for England again. That's why um, Jack Grealish was forced to apologise and has been given a fine. It's been said, our claims are not always an accurate reflection of what we really think our deeds are. And James says, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And do you see what James is saying? This claim of faith, this professed faith, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's not living faith. It's not a legitimate claim. So if the person who claims to have faith 
sees the person who's in real need and says, go in peace. It's not just incredibly insensitive. If they say, be warm, it's not just incredibly impractical. If they say, be well fed, it's not just incredibly unhelpful. It's less than useless. It's a sign of lifeless, false faith because they couldn't possibly mean it. I wonder, where could you be in danger of speaking like that? Quick to say you're dependent on God, but in reality, not ever speaking to him. Quick to say that you care for the needy in Bista, but in reality, never doing anything. Quick to say that you want to share the good news with people in Bista and beyond, but in reality, doing nothing to do that. Quick to say, but in reality, not doing anything. James carries on with what someone might argue back to him in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is often illustrated by your relationship with a chair. I have faith in that chair to hold my weight. There's the claim there's me professing my faith but ultimately it doesn't really mean anything i could say that about any chair but my faith is shown when i go to sit on the chair when i relax my weight down onto the chair my faith in it to hold me up is evident it's in view and here james gives a stark warning it's a warning to those who are great at giving the chair. It's a warning to those that are quick to speak and never do. Look at verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, profession of belief without deeds is no more than hot air. Even the demons can do that. Are you in danger of separating what you believe into academics? Are you in danger of making what you believe hypothetical? Are you in danger of being overly concerned with how you might explain what you believe and not by what you actually do? James says, I will show you my faith by what I do. Profession of belief and even excellent explanation of theological concepts on their own are worthless. In fact, it's worse than that. It's the sign of counterfeit faith. And remember what James is doing here in his book. He's writing with a genuine concern because the danger is we get to this point and we say, this is pretty brutal, isn't it? It's a bit like the footballers in the news, wanting to expose, wanting to out people as hypocrites. But no, no, what James is doing is he's trying to help. James is saying, I desperately don't want you to profess faith and even maybe think you have faith when in reality you don't. Because that faith, 
that faith that isn't legitimate, it doesn't save. And so that would be tragic. See, saying that you're a Christian, that doesn't save you. Even having sound doctrine, that by itself doesn't save you. Even the demons do that. Because faith is not just words. Secondly, faith and actions work together. Look at verse 20. James wants to make his point clear. You foolish person, he doesn't pull his punches. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And so he uses the example of two Old Testament characters. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. See, Abraham, he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Now, humanly speaking, that made no sense at all. Abraham was promised many things. He was promised that he'd be the father of many nations. The Old Testament tracks the lineage of him he was promised that he'd have loads of descendants that the whole world would be blessed through him so being asked to put his own son on an altar that is the definition of counterintuitive but abraham trusted god but what was it that actually made him righteous we'll look at verse 23 Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. See, he was considered righteous because he trusted God at his word. But look at verse 21. His faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. He was in a position where it would be impossible to believe God and not do what he said. If he didn't do what God said, that would prove that he didn't actually trust him. But instead, he did. And so his faith and his actions were working together. And the same happens for anyone who has new life in Jesus. That new life comes about through the word of truth. Such that it's impossible to have this new life of faith and not want to do what God says to not want to listen to him some people try and claim that James is countering Paul trying to draw some kind of a wedge between faith and works and Paul speaks at length of how there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation it's sometimes described as sola fide which means by faith alone, which is absolutely true. Only Jesus' work on the cross makes us right before God. But James isn't contrasting faith and works. He's not trying to argue with Paul. In fact, he's writing to people who've likely heard what Paul has to say. And those people thought 
If they have faith, then they can just go and do whatever they like. So what James is contrasting is true faith and false faith, legitimate faith, and those that claim to have faith but don't. Do you remember the original question? What if someone claims to have faith? See what James is doing? He wants to help his readers know that their faith is real. And do you remember the words described in chapter one of how that real faith is attained? Chapter one, verse 18, God chose to give us birth. It is not earned. God chose to give. It can't be earned. And so James is helping us to see that works do have a place in the picture, but it is absolutely not faith plus works equals salvation. It is not faith plus works equals salvation. It's not that God gives faith, and as long as you work hard enough, you are saved. It is not that. But faith equals salvation plus works. God gives new life, and that new life of faith is one that saves lost people, and it transforms them to be more like Jesus. So they will be doing good works. It comes together. Remember chapter 1, verse 18? This work is the first fruits, the work that comes about because of new life in Jesus. Because real faith will be accompanied by action. It must, because new life means new living. The first fruits is the guarantee. The action is the guarantee. It proves that this new life has come about. But verse 24 is where it starts to sound a bit uncomfortable. Have a look. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. But here's what it's not saying. It's not using the words you see like now then or so. So a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now then, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. No, it is not being used in that sense, but it's being used in its literal sense. You actually see that a person is considered righteous by what they do. Or in other words, you actually see that a person has faith in a chair when they relax their weight onto it. You actually see that a person has new life when the first fruits are evident. You actually see that Gravely Fruit Farm has strawberries when the chalkboards have come out onto the road. You actually see it is visually apparent. See, James is not talking about how someone is justified, made right. But how you see, how you can tell, how you can see that someone is truly right before God. He's not concerned here with the means, but the visible evidence of it. Because someone is only presented right before God based on what Jesus has done. James is concerned 
by the visible evidence for it. How we can know that that new life has occurred. Because real faith that comes about by new birth will always have that visible evidence. That's how we know if that claim is legitimate. Children get this wrong in the reptile house all the time. Have you ever been there, stood with a child, watching a snake or an alligator, and you stood there for like 10 minutes, and the child says, it's dead. And you go, okay, it might not be, it might just be having a little sleep. Let's wait, let's encourage it to move, see what it does. And the child says, it's dead because it won't move. It's dead because it won't move. Hold on, that doesn't sound right. It's dead because it won't move. Or that's saying it's alive because it moves. That's the wrong way round, isn't it? It's alive, so it will move. It just will. That's what living things do. Or it's dead, so it can't possibly move. So the longer you wait in the reptile house with the impatient child, you'll see whether the alligator, the snake, is dead or alive by what it does. And presumably, if you're a zookeeper, the diagnostic question that you ask of an alligator if you're a zookeeper is this. Is it alive? What's it doing? If it doesn't look alive, then I'll maybe cautiously go and give it a bit of a nudge. If it's still not moving, then maybe it really is dead. But I can only guess that a zookeeper really doesn't want to be quick to make that call. Because if they are, then they're going to be in real trouble. But maybe that is a good diagnostic test for us as we think about our faith in the book of James. Do we have new life in Jesus? If yes, is it moving? Does it need a bit of a nudge? And the book of James is great for that. Take last week, we discussed plenty of really practical things in how we might care for those that are more vulnerable than us at the moment. What have you actually done about that this week? Do you need a diagnostic poke? Because as we feel that desire to change, as we notice the things as God's word shines a light in our heart to see things that need to change, that's how we're transformed through the word of truth. Just like a person who looks in the mirror and notices that something needs to change. But if we're just not seeing that change, then like the zookeeper, we need to ask why not? We need to give a, a good nudge and work out what's going on. And if the reality is that there is absolutely no life there, if that's a true reality, and we don't want to be quick to make that call, but if there's continually no action, no real desire to follow Jesus with every area of life, well then here, this is what James wants you to know that that is not legitimate faith. And, and that could be a real relief to you if you're listening. To come to Jesus and 
ask for new life rather than go on pretending or claiming to have faith which you don't have to put on a show to keep working hard at, at something that just isn't you because in his pastoral heart james is writing and james wants us to know whether we do have that true faith god wants you to know and god wants you to have a true and living faith and so james summarizes his section with this final sentence verse 26 as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead see what james is arguing is not that works must be added to faith to make it genuine no but that genuine faith that comes about by spirit-imparted new life will be characterized by works. Faith that lives will be a faith that works. It just will. A bit like standing in the alligator zone. The longer you watch him, it just will be evident. Sometimes that's hard work, watching for long enough but it just will be a faith that works. Because faith is not just words. Faith and actions work together. That is the result of God giving us new life in Jesus. Through his word and by his spirit, God causes us to be more like Jesus. And so we will work for him. We will be obedient to him. That is what we will do. And maybe as you listen this evening, you need a diagnostic poke to ask yourself the question, is my faith at work? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you give a living faith that lives and that works. Lord, please might you help us to have this faith. Lord, would you give this new life? And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to have absolute confidence in it. Amen.